One of the popular New Age practices today getting in the church is this thing called mindfulness. Mindfulness essentially is a loosely defined term that has gained cultural popularity for many people. For some, mindfulness is often seen as an intel intentional awareness of the current reality or the act of being in the moment. For others, others use it to talk about a specific meditative state or the meditative practices used to enter that state. But what is mindfulness? We're going to look at that on the Let's Get Real podcast. My name is Rob Lundberg, and you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. And thank you for joining us on the Let's Get Real podcast. My name is Rob Lundberg, and today we're going to continue with our series, I guess you could say, or what has turned into a series of New Age practices getting into the church. Now, I know uh, some of my friends like Doreen Virtue and Stephen Bancars will affirm um what we have been sharing with you, and some of them will even be able to go deeper. Both of them have been deeply involved in the New Age movement, and or movements, I should say, uh, because back in the 80s and the 90s, uh, when the New Age movements were actually uh, being uh, introduced to culture, I guess you could say, and on a lower scale, we were involved in the counter-cult movement back then. But then it kind of sort of took a hiatus, and a lot of things like contemplative prayer, the law of attraction, which we talked about in our last few episodes, those both of those. There's another one that has come in to the fray, and that is this whole thing on mindfulness. Now, the church I go to, there was a, uh, a woman that came up to my daughter one time and talked about using this word called mindfulness and and we were kind of kicking it around so I started researching it a little bit uh, this was a, a few years ago by the way and since we're doing this series on some things that have that are creeping into the um, the church I I decided to add this into into the fray here. So what we're going to do is we're going to deal with this whole idea of mindfulness. And, you know, and I know I've already gotten some criticism on some of the social media saying that, you know, apologists will go and find something wrong with something. It just goes and tells me that there's a problem uh, in the person that is making that comment and, and it's indicative and probably epidemic in many cases. Uh, somebody who goes and says, well, you know, if you're finding a problem in the church, chances are, you know, if you, um, if you go to a conference or something, you're going to find groups of people that are going to find something wrong with something. You know, basically, my, my understanding of that derogatory remark is, one, it's ridiculous. Number two is that, um, they don't know what they're talking about. And three, 
um, there's a lot of syncretism in the church. Where, what, I'm, what do I mean by syncretism? You know, the children of Israel, they got judged by God when it came to the religion of the Canaanites and incorporating some of the, the, the worship in the high places uh, as part of going and tying the worship of Yahweh in the high places, which were occult pagan uh, places of worship. Now, are we doing the same thing when we think of contemplative prayer and evangelicals getting on a bandwagon for, for going and incorporating something into the Christian life that has Buddhist tendencies? And, and mindfulness is, is the same way. Mindfulness is the same way. So what I want to do is I want to deal with the whole idea of what is mindfulness um, is it biblical, and 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 should it, it should a Christian participate or practice mindfulness? Okay, so let me start dealing with that. As I mentioned earlier, it's a loosely defined term today in our culture. And, you know, some people have different meanings of it, like, you know, an intentional awareness of the current reality around them, or you know, they're mindful of how they should act in the moment. Others use it to talk about specific meditative states or even meditative practices. And that's what I want to hit on, on, on this part of this mindfulness thing. Because mindfulness itself is rooted in Buddhism, as their own promoters readily admit you know, although it is often adapted adapted for secular purposes, you know, in counseling and, you know, maybe to calm yourself down or something like that. But the ideology behind mindfulness is to achieve stillness and balance of mind. Some of the mindfulness techniques touted in popular psychology today are perfectly compatible with the Bible. But the foundational assumption behind mindfulness is that you and I can create our own peace through our own efforts. And for somebody who if, b- believes that they should embrace biblical theology, that is totally antagonistic to biblical theology. Mindfulness might even contribute to the reduced stress and even increased sense of well-being, but mindfulness will never, ever achieve for you and I a satisfaction that our souls crave. That, and that can only be met by the one true God who can meet our deepest needs. If we look at things from a biblical perspective, we know that Jesus is the one who gives us peace and that can that peace can exist in all circumstances. We can read that in John chapter 14 verse 27 and verse chapter 4 of and verse 7 of Philippians, and the God of peace shall garrison your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. No human can control emotions or thoughts on his or her own because we are all born slaves to a sinful nature. You don't believe me, check out Romans chapter 6, verses 17 to 23. 
only through the power of the Holy Spirit who sets our minds free to think truthfully can we ultimately know true peace. And if we want to practice being more aware or insightful, there are much better options than mindfulness techniques such as things like um, um, prayer, uh, worship, um, how about even Bible study for that matter? When Christians think biblically, they see things defined through the lens of Scripture. And the word mindful, which means attentive, is not describing anything inherently wrong. The psalmists were even attentive to their surroundings and their own emotions. We can be as well. And Jesus was attentive to the needs of others around him as well as spending time with the Father apart from crowds in prayer. Now, we can mimic that same behavior. Christians can be mindful of Christ by taking every thought captive and renewing our minds with the truth. We read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, and Romans chapter 12, and verse 2. It is not about the removal of the mind. It is about the renewing of the mind. And folks, we are mindful that when we examine ourselves as 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5 calls us to, and ask God to search and reveal our hearts, like in Psalm 139, 23 through 24, and Philippians 4, 6 through 8 also tells us, do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we often forget that, present your request to God. And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if any is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. That is what we are to focus our minds on. And of course, this behavior might be seen as mindfulness, But mindfulness as Buddhist meditation techniques, or even as a psychological self-help method meant to be a cure-all for awareness and self-fulfillment, is not biblical. Now, what I want to do, I'm going to defend that last statement. It is not biblical, okay? What is mindfulness? What is mindfulness meditation? Well, first and foremost, meditation, this mindfulness meditation is an adaptation of Buddhist techniques which went through a process of secularization and entered into the medical use under the direction of psychotherapy in the 1990s. Psychology Today defines meditation as the practice or turning your attention to a single point of reference, away from distracting thoughts and from focusing on present moments. Over the past three decades, numerous publications have com- commended the benefits of meditation. You may be in a business where if you are having a rough time in sales or if you're having a rough time in the DOD world or, or wherever, you are probably encouraged and maybe even your doctor would encourage you to be involved in meditation. The question is, is what kind of meditation are they suggesting? Okay, is it TM? Is it yoga? Is it mindfulness for that matter? 
So this has been going on for the last three decades. Mindful meditation is nothing like biblical notion of meditation. And I've said this before in previous episodes, and it is not something Christians should be practicing. And what I want to do is I want to give you three reasons why mindfulness meditation should not be on the priority list for Christians. Mindfulness treats symptoms like anything else. Doctors can treat symptoms, but if they do not treat the cause, it is not going to lead to true healing. And mindfulness is the same way. Again, mindfulness treats symptoms, but Jesus Christ treats the cause. So, number one, mindfulness meditation treats symptoms and not causes. Studies indicate that there are many benefits to meditation, mindfulness meditation, that is. And these include health, happiness, social life, self-control, productivity, improved mood. Even though the empirical results support the practice, this does not mean meditation is the only or even the best way to achieve these results. While there is little doubt that our mental state affects our solution, or affects our health and our happiness and self-control, productivity and mood, mindfulness is more about a solution than identifying the problem. In fact, it is difficult to find any psychological documentation providing a theory of why meditation is even effective. Thus, while many now regard the practice as secular, it still rests primarily on Buddhist theory. And please understand, I understand that causes do matter. This means that psychological sector prescribes meditation as a solution without addressing the cause of the underlying problems it is trying to solve. Now, secular psychology tends to reject sin as a corrupting influence, though it baptizes other forms of corruption. Buddhism, the ancestor of mindfulness meditation, seeks to escape the corruption because it, you know, Buddhism tries to eradicate desire, and of course you get the converse of that, it would try to eradicate that as well. But it seeks to escape the corruption and also without addressing the cause. The Word of God, however, provides a universal answer of the causes of our problems, but one with so many nuances that is that it is comprehensive. We are corrupted people in a corrupted world. Nothing is quite as it ought to be, but everything can be explained through a biblical framework when it is properly understood. Now, if each individual is corrupted and sinful, then wouldn't it make sense to attend to the corruption that we can address to avoid or the problems in the first place. Of course, Christians who practice mindfulness may not realize this, but they are seeking to cure without addressing the cause. God is more concerned about dealing with the cause than just giving us a good life because life is more than health and happiness. Number two, mindfulness meditation also develops a godless spirituality. Let me explain. 
Mindfulness and transcendental meditation seek to develop a spirituality. However, this spirituality is bound into the worldview of the practitioner. By practicing meditation in a secular context, we develop a secular version of spirituality. Though you might be inclined to think that someone who doesn't believe in the supernatural rejects the notion of spirituality, this is no longer clear as it is evident that the rise of secular churches complete with the liturgy. Under Buddhism, the spiritual experience meditation seeks to create that it seeks to create is mystical. Mystical theory assumes man needs to ascend into or toward God and regards the physical world as inherently evil. This is kind of like a Gnosticism. The spirituality that we find in Scripture, however, considers the world as something good that is corrupted, but which will one day be purified purified, and one day it will be redeemed. Regardless of whether your version of spirituality is Buddhism or atheistic, developing a spirituality that is devoid of God is a godless spirituality. If you're a Christian, shouldn't you be concerned about what God says about your life and responding accordingly? By rejecting a biblical approach to change and spiritual to uh, by rejecting a biblical approach to making changes and spiritual growth, we treat God as something, not someone, to tag onto our side or the side of our life with some moralistic therapy. But, folks, that's not Christianity. Developing a spirituality that is devoid of God is a godless spirituality. Now, what is spirituality? What is it and what is it not? Well, salvation and therefore Christian spirituality is not deliverance from health problems. Uh, It is not deliverance from mood swings or becoming more self-controlled or becoming happy. Certainly, biblical salvation should result in those things, but those things in and of themselves are not salvation. Salvation is believing and responding rightly through the power of the Holy Spirit to the God of the universe who became incarnate on the account of our rebellion to turn our hearts toward Him for His glory. Salvation requires repentance, acknowledgement that our ways are sinful and wrong. Though repentance results in a change in behavior, it results in a change in thinking and desires, the desire for a better life apart from a right response to the Lord and Creator is not a motivation for biblical salvation. Mindfulness and transcendental meditation develop a spirituality devoid of the Creator, which in its original form is Eastern, explicitly sought to establish a negative spirituality which exalted and embraced in nothingness. Biblical spirituality recognizes that we are creatures created in to live in a world made by the Creator in the image and likeness of God according to the pattern of the Creator for the good of the Creator because the Creator is worthy of this. Salvation is not motivated by a desire for a better life apart from the right response to the Lord and Creator. Number three. Mindfulness meditation is also 
reductionistic. Let me explain. Mindfulness and transcendental meditation regard people as less than what the Bible says and it means to be human. And of course, that is being challenged today by the paradigms of our culture apart as a part of the original concept of transcendental meditation, it was that the practitioner was to eliminate the desires and enter into a state of non-existence. By contrast, the Bible teaches that God made man in his image and his likeness with desires and emotions. Folks, that is how we're wired. Certainly, corrupt desires lead to bad circumstances, as we read in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But the problem is not the affections, per se, but their corruption. Desires, emotions, and feelings enable meaning and are a gift from God. Mindfulness in its secular form attempts to rescue transcendental meditation by neglecting, possibly rejecting, its ultimate goal. It does this by encouraging short meditation enough to grow in self-awareness. But even mindfulness is reductionistic because it fails to provide a moral framework for our feelings. Without a moral framework... There is no framework for transcendent, transcendent meaning. Without God's objective and transcendent meaning, you and I lose the definition of meaning and reduce it to something less than what it is. If we reduce meaning, we lessen significance of humanity and by extension, our own lives. Mindfulness in and of itself is devoid of a moral framework reducing meaning to a poor self-articulated alternative, and therefore, mindfulness is reductionistic. And without a moral framework, there is no framework for transcendent meaning and thinking, and thinking more deeply about meditation. So, you say, well, you know, it works. You know, I had somebody go and tell me, yoga works. And because it works, it must be good. Well, that's really pragmatic. It would be like me going and looking out my backyard between two sliding glass doors and seeing the same squirrel out there and looking because I woke up feeling really, really tired. That look, Seeing that squirrel out there playing in my backyard is going to give me more energy. Therefore, it works. Just because something works doesn't make it right. Just because it, it, it works doesn't make it under the confines amenable to a biblical worldview. So why does mindfulness work? Why does meditation work? You know, let me give you my non-professional, unscientific thoughts on this, okay? The pace of activity today continues to get faster every year. And rather than simply sitting and thinking and reflecting, humans are increasingly active and therefore reactive. You know, we're just reactionary creatures, okay? We function under this so-called mob mentality, particularly more so with everything that's going on in our culture today. And what we do is we imitate each other's patterns of behavior, adopting each other's standards and conforming ourselves to people and environment or the environment that is around us. Now, 
mindfulness and meditation work, supposedly, because it breaks that cycle and allows the individual to exist outside of a bubble of reactivity. In mindfulness meditation, the practitioner is to observe or be aware of their feelings and thoughts, accepting what they find. This awareness itself is a fundamental aspect of change, and there can be no change without an awareness of the need to change. So, if we can accept who we are and how we act, we are more able to make, a ju- make judgment calls about appropriateness of our feelings and thoughts and to be able to control them thus awareness itself is the beginning of change now folks please understand awareness is not change awareness is not change mindfulness appeals to a secular mind precisely because it is non-judgmental and accepting However, in reality, such acceptance is a path to make better judgments about our behavior. Here is where the secular world ends and religion enters, and why psychologists say that we can meditate regardless of our religious convictions. The secular world is unable to make such judgments because morality is notoriously difficult, if not impossible, without a religious framework or foundation. As a secularized practice, mindfulness, meditation, has to import morality from the practitioner's worldview. And since everyone has a moral framework, even if their worldview doesn't support it, we can make judgments about the thoughts and desires that meditation brings to our awareness. The worldview of the practitioner informs the direction mindfulness takes, They then make judgments resulting in change, and psychology calls it success without an explanation. All this takes place with no reference to the God of the Bible. So, let me wrap this up. Christianity in and of itself provides a greater benefit. The Word of God reminds us that our greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Jesus affirms this numerous times. One significant affirmation is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The priority for a Christian is not the these things, but the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The way we walk with the Lord is more important than what we have. The Apostle Paul learned to be content in whatever situation he was in, in Philippians 4.11. Why? Because he recognized how to relate to and respond to the holy and righteous Creator, which is more important than the circumstances that he or you and I go through today. If all we want is a better life, or uh, life on our terms without the Lord, we probably aren't Christian. And, you know, when we talk about obedience and biblical meditation, the Word of God affirms uh, repeatedly, by putting our priorities right, good things follow. In fact, when God commanded Joshua to meditate on day and night, 
the first result was that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, it being the law. Obedience is before and preeminent over any material results. However, God also connected Joshua's obedience with prosperity and success. And this doesn't mean Joshua would become wealthy, but he would succeed in the purpose for which God had sent him, and that was the conquest of the promised land. In Psalm 1, the psalmist, as I mentioned last week with regards to the law of attraction and even with contemplative prayer, we are reminded that we do not walk according to the counsel of the wicked, or stand on the way of sinner, or sit in the seat of the scoffer. But our delight is in the law of the Lord, which specifically means that in the will of God is expressed in the word of God. Further, we are told that this blessed man in Psalm 1 meditates in his law day and night. So biblical meditation is is not primarily sitting and being aware of what we feel or think or navel-gazing, but becoming aware of what God feels and thinks as it is revealed in his word. The purpose of biblical meditation is to evaluate our actions by the standard of his word and then make the adjustments accordingly. Biblical meditation requires a right heart. And while more confrontational than mindfulness, it is also more valuable because it doesn't stop with awareness, but with repentance. So the ultimate question is this, do I want my life to reflect the blessing that the Lord provides, regardless of the material implications, or do I want the benefits without the Lord? Do I want a full life as the Lord defines it, or do I want to be the master of my own destiny? Frankly, if all we want is to be, uh, if all we want is a better life or a life on our terms, whether we realize it or not, without the Lord, we probably aren't Christian. Think about that for just a moment. But I'm sure that those who regard themselves as Christians, but who are practicing mindfulness, will continue to affirm that they are Christian. And I hope so. My desire is not to have anyone reject the faith. Instead, I want to encourage Christians to dig deeper, to dig deeper into the Word of God, and to be discerning, just like the sons of Issachar who knew the times and how Israel should live. That we should be able to discern more accurately what His will is, what the Word of God says, and that His will is before blending the ways of foreign deities and godless cultures into their lives. Can you think of any biblical reasons to abstain from mindfulness? I think I've given you some. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. And if you do have any questions, if you do want to take anything on that you have heard in this episode today, I would invite you to email me at roblundberg315 at gmail.com. You know, we live in a culture today that is 
going and trying to guzzy up to Christianity, but it is far from that by going and bringing in Eastern pantheistic uh, ideologies and, 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 and religious practices. And none of this belongs in the church. Not contemplative prayer, not mindfulness, not the law of attraction, not even yoga for that matter. So if you do have any questions on that, I would appreciate your email on that. Again, it's roblundberg315 at gmail.com. And until next week, this is Rob Lundberg from roblundberg.org, Rob Lundberg Ministries. As you go out this week, go out and give them heaven. And Lord willing, we'll be back with you next week. God bless. God bless.